Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Without further ado, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. I was telling you a story before we were rudely interrupted last week. And, uh, no, we weren't rudely interrupted. I was telling you a story about how, uh, you know, down at the San Pedro Ranch, we had, a, we had a water trough that the float was sticking on it, and so it was constantly running over. And then what happens around those cement troughs is it gets washed out, you know, because the water's there and everything. Well, one day, I get over to the bunkhouse about 4.30 in the morning, and Antonio tells me, he says, me and you are going to fix that float. Today, I was like, all right. He goes, but we're going to wait till you know, the sun comes up so we can see and all of that good stuff. And I'm like, yeah, cool and everything. So we go out there whenever the sun comes up. And I go out there and I feed the, go- uh, the gods. The goats, not the gods, the goats. They thought they were gods. They were not. Went out there to feed the goats. And the way we fed goats is we'd go out with an axe and cut down like these wesatch trees. We'd cut some branches off. And boy, they ate that stuff up. I guess it was like ice cream. I tried it one day. It wasn't that great to me. But... Uh, Anyway, so we go out there and we cut that satch down, and so I fed them. And so we go over there, and, and the first thing Antonio tells me to do, now you have to understand, I'm going to tell you in English. Antonio's not telling me this in English. He's telling me this in Spanish. And I understood about as much Spanish then as you do Chinese now, okay? If there was lots of hand signals, and if you notice when you don't understand a language, you start talking louder. <laughs> like they can hear you better, they can understand you better. If you talk louder... So anyway, with a bunch of hand signals and a, and a few uh, Spanish words that I knew, a couple of cuss words that I knew, um, I think he threw in there, I recognized those. He told me to go turn off the water line so that we could turn the water off to the trough. Now, on, on a ranch, a shutoff valve to a water line is kind of like the Holy Grail. Many people have searched for it. Very few have ever actually seen a shutoff valve. But Antonio assured me that it was down the fence line and just walk down this fence line over here and go through a gate at the end and then close that gate, walk right around the fence and open up another gate and go in. Now, now I, that, that's kind of hard to understand, but imagine, if you will, that this is the fence line that I have to walk down. Y'all are in one big pasture, and so Antonio wants me to go out this gate right here, walk right there and open that gate to go shut off the valve that's right there. Well, you know, I mean, I'm kind of an independent cuss, and and I like to do things my way. And so what I decided to do was not do what Antonio told me, because there's no reason to go out this gate and this gate when I can just push the wire down and step over. We've all done it 100,000 times. I mean, it ain't no big deal. It is a little bit different when you're about this far from an H-brace because the, line, the, the wire is a lot tighter right there close. And so anyway, I got down there and, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, we're cowboying. <laughs> this is the glamorous part of cowboying, fixing floats on water troughs. And so anyway, I, I get down there and I think, I'm not going to go through those two gates. I'll just, so I, and I can't push the barbed wire down far enough and I was about right here, and my timing was absolutely impeccable because I happened to grab the wire, throw my leg over, and at the same instant, I saw that the barbed wire was running through a piece of water hose. 
around the H-brace. Now, for any of you that have cowboyed or ranched or anything like that, you know what that means. They are using the barbed wire as the electric fence. <laughs> now, for those of you that are not electricians, let me explain a few things to you. Electricity makes you contract, okay? And so what happened was is I stepped over and I felt one of those little barbs in a very tender spot, and I thought, whoo. And then I saw the water hose, and that's when the first pulse hit me, and my knees contracted. I became very uncomfortable at this moment, and I couldn't straighten my legs out or let go. Antonio tells it later that he thought that a girl was dying. It was probably the Doppler effect. I mean, when things are moving away from you, it just sounds different, so I'm sure that's what it was. And uh, it was actually my Viking, my Viking Vorkal. Viking Vorkal. If my wife was here, she would be laughing really hard right now. And um, so anyway, I think it only hit me about six or seven times before I was able to basically slide off of it. <laughs> there was no just, you know, Oh, that hurt. It was more like, eh, 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 and you know, fall down. And the really, the, the two biggest injuries that I uh, received was not a vasectomy. It, it wasn't a vasectomy, but my pride and my britches took a really big hit that day. And so I found the Holy Grail, and I bent over to turn it off, and I felt a very unusual style draft because I had split my pants all the way up the back. That doesn't generally happen to a skinny fella. But whenever you, ha when you are electrocuted from the Y region up, things tend to happen like that. So I got it shut off. I'm still a little bit tingly. And so I crawled over it again. No, I didn't crawl over it again. I went out like Antonio told me to, and I went out this gate, and I went in this gate, and then I walked about a quarter of a mile out in the pasture, away from that dadgum fence. And so I got back, and Antonio takes one look at me, and he grins, he grins, and he says, in English, he says, I told you so. <laughs> and I told him in Spanish, shut up. <laughs> he understood that Spanish. So later on, I go, I, I get to the I get to the bunkhouse later, and I mean, I went home and I'd changed pants and everything, and I walk into the bunkhouse, and, and there's Antonio and the three other uh, cowboys. There's Baltimore and Tomas and Zeferino, and Antonio is doing this charades-style acting out of my endeavors that morning. And it's all in Spanish, about 400 miles an hour, and he's and I can tell exactly what's going on, and I'm just standing there like this. Antonio has to breathe every now and then because he's laughing so hard. There's not a lot of entertainment out on these South Texas ranches, so this was big fun. So everybody's laughing, and they can't decide whether to look at me being turning red or look at Antonio because it's all funny. And so anyway, I'm sitting there, and very, at the very end, everybody just dies laughing. And I didn't understand that part. Well, Baltimore... Um, Baltimore, his, actually this is a little side note about Baltimore, his last name was Boone and he is a descendant of Daniel Boone, but he, uh, he was in the movie Return to Gunsmoke, and if you watch Return to Gunsmoke, 
every close-up of the final battle scene where you see an Indian, that is Baltimore Boone. He, that, they used him. He put on different wigs, and di or not different wigs, but different headbands, and they'd paint his face different because he looked so much like an Indian that they used him. <laughs> you know, they had a bunch of white people running around over here for all this stuff, but a close-up, they put on Baltimore. He had uh, hair down to here, and he put it in two braids. And I mean, this dude looked just like a Comanche Indian. But anyway, so Baltimore, he spoke pretty good English. And so he's sitting there, and he's laughing, and I said, what did he say? And Baltimore said, he told us that you ripped your pants and you came back. And he said, he told you, hindsight is 50-50. I said, now wait a minute. See, see, that don't make no sense. Hindsight isn't 50-50. He's getting his, his, his words mixed up because the, the, the phrase is hindsight is 20-20. He said, we told him that. And he said, no, because he could see half your hind on one side and half your hind on the other side. <laughs> Hindsight is indeed 50-50. But today, we're not just going to talk about one butt or two butts. We're going to discover three butts in Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8. We are in the middle of a, well, we're actually... Going to conclude next week into our seven-part series called Into the Promised Land about how the Israelites were freed from Egypt and God made all of these promises. I just snorted. That was weird. I've never done that. Got wild up. And so anyway, we're talking about going into the Promised Land and in the very first week we, we talked about... Uh, God's promises are on the other side of fear. Because what we talked about was how the Israelites got out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They get right up to the promised land. And then they take a look in there. They send a bunch of spies in there. And most of the spies come back and said, it's hopeless. Those guys are too big. They're too mean. We can't do it. And so everybody was filled with fear. And so God sent them back out into the desert for 40 years to figure that out, that it was going to be him that does this, not them. So anyway, we said that, that, that God's promises are just on the other side of fear. To overcome that fear and trust in God's promises. When he says that he's going to do something, trust that he's going to do it. Don't trust your eyes. Don't trust all this other stuff. Just trust God. That was part one. Part two was, was the keys to success. And, and if, you, if you missed part two, that was a great, great uh, uh, lesson about God's promises and, and how God not only wants you to succeed... But he wants you to prosper and succeed. And you can go back either on our podcast. It's available at SaveTheCowboy.com. Or you can go back on live stream. Just click on Watch Live. Go back and watch part two. Now part three, we talked about how um, a lot of people just, you know, they think that they, they want just a little bit of God. They want just enough God to, to fix their problems. And they want just enough Jesus to get them into heaven. And they want just enough of the Holy Spirit so that they don't make stupid decisions. But we learned that just enough is never enough. As a matter of fact, just enough is really not anything. We talked about going all in. And last week we talked about, uh, it, it was crazy because what we talked about one of Jesus' dis, uh, descendants, ancestors, that, that we talked about a hooker named Rahab. We talked all about a hooker during church, and it, and it was awesome. And the, and the things that we can learn from her life and from her, her confession of faith and, and, and all of this stuff. And then we're going to talk today 
about doing things your way? Are you using the promises of God to become everything He wants you to be? Now, now where we left off in the Joshua story last week was uh, the... Rahab had rescued these two spies that they sent into Jericho, and um, she hid them from the authorities, and she kind of gave the little, oh, they went that way, and so the authorities went that way, and she hid them, and then she said, hey, man, can you, uh, can you save me? Because we know, I know that your God is the real God, and I want to be saved. I want to follow him. Everybody's in fear, blah, blah, blah. So whenever they go to attack Jericho, Rahab and her family are the only ones that are spared. Now, the, the whole Jericho story is, is, is an amazing one that a lot of people know that, that God said, okay, this is the way that you're going to take Jericho. The way that you're going to take it is you're going to put all the fighting men marching around Jericho, and they're going to they're march around, and, and the, the priests are going to uh, blow the shafars, the kind of like Eric the Awful or something, you know what I mean? And so they were going to march around at one time around this whole city. They wasn't going to say a word. And you know, that may sound kind of silly, but I bet it was intimidating to the people that were inside. You know, here's these people, they ain't saying nothing except blowing through these ram's horns. And if you've ever heard a shofar blow, it's, it's pretty cool. And I can imagine a bunch of Levite priests doing this as they walk around one time and then they go back to their camp. And I can imagine Jericho is like, whoa, what's going on? This is crazy, you know. And I bet they were tense. And God said, y'all do this for six days. And then on the seventh day, y'all march around it seven times. And then when I give the command, everybody shout. And then the walls are going to come tumbling down. And then y'all go in there and y'all take the city. So that's what they did. And finally God said, Joshua, tell them to... Tell them to shout now. So Joshua, ah! Joshua says, now! And everybody, ah! and the walls come tumbling down. There's a, there's a neat Bible song about that. And uh, anyway, the walls came tumbling down, and God said to go wipe out everybody completely. And that's pretty rough. I mean, when we, when we sit down to think about it, because God said, besides Rahab and her family, no one is to live. And, and that, that's, that's a sermon for, for another time. But when we don't understand stuff, and, 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 and the God of the Old Testament seems very cruel sometimes. It's not that he's cruel, it's that he loves us so much that he's not going to let anything, any ideals, or any other people hurt his kids. Okay? So, anyway, God says go in there, ransack everything, kill everything, and take nothing for yourselves, any silver or gold or any valuables and everything, is to be brought into my basically temple. I mean, there wasn't a temple back then, but anything of value is mine, okay? So that's what, that's what they do. They go in there, and, um, and in Joshua chapter 6, at the very end, we'll go to 7 in a minute, but at the very end of Joshua chapter 6, I absolutely love this. Joshua 6 verse 27 says this, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. How do we use God's promises to become everything He wants us to be? You notice I didn't say, how can we use God's promises for our personal benefit? I said, how can we use God's promises to become everything that He wants us to be? Well, see, there, there, there's two great promises from God in that one verse alone. It says, so the Lord was with Joshua and His reputation spread throughout the land. See, the two great promises in that verse alone are 
God gives success to those who follow him. And God makes those who follow him influential. I mean, isn't that a cool part? I mean, if we are to reach people and we are to show people the good news of Jesus Christ and everything, then, then he wants to make us successful. Maybe not in, in America's term of successful, and I'm not talking about necessarily money and, and, and big houses or anything like that. I'm talking about the happiness and the peace and, and the, the inward prosperity. And, and sometimes there will be some outward stuff also. But God wants you to be successful because what he wants is he wants your light to shine bright so that somebody will walk up to you and go, Hey, cowboy, what do you have that I don't? How come you, when, when, when things go bad for you, I mean, I know it has to hurt because it hurts me, but you're able to rise above that. Then that opens a door for you to say, because I don't depend on me, I depend on my God. Do we do that? See, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 27, it's awesome. He says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. God gives a success to those who follow him and God makes those who follow him influential. People will listen to what you say when you follow God completely. Have you been looking for success in your own efforts? Have you been working real hard so that you can succeed? Because the Bible doesn't ever say anything about that. The most successful people in the Bible were a result of depending on God, not upon themselves. Too often, especially here in America, we put all of our value on how hard we work and success is, is deemed from how much money's in your bank account or what kind of truck you drive or what kind of horse you ride or what kind of tra living quartered horse trailer you have. And all those things are great. But that's not how God views success. Have you been looking for success in your own efforts? And do you want people to listen to what you have to say? And, and you know, there's a, there's a misconception that you know, in America, we have the right to free speech, don't we? Hoorah! Thank you for those that fought for that freedom, and I'm dead serious about that. But let me tell you something. The right to free speech does not give you the right to be heard. You can say whatever you want to, but I have the decision on whether or not I listen to you. We have to earn that right to be listened to, to be influential. And God says right here, man, I'll make you influential when you follow me. Joshua 6, 27, the last verse of chapter 6. So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. And then the very next word in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. What is it if you got your Bible? But. <laughs> There's our first but. I told you there was going to be three of them. But. And here's what it says. But Israel violated the instructions about things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of his dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. But somebody didn't do what God told them to do. This is the big, uh-oh, and it would come to play a very big part in what is about to happen. But we'll get back to Achan in a minute. So they, they destroyed Jericho, and, and now they're fixing to move on, and they are going to go to the next town to, to conquer the promised land, and the next town is AI. I don't really know how you say that because all I can think about is artificial insemination. <laughs> Which is funny because one day we were driving down the road and, and Burger King had this A1 burger, but they didn't have a one, so they used an I, and it totally changed the meaning of that sign when it said, try our new AI burger. I was like, no, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll pass. I'll go get me a Big Mac or something like that. 
So they're going to AI. That's what I'm going to say, AI. Because just saying A just doesn't, makes me feel funny. I don't know. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of AI. <laughs> Israelites were big on spies, weren't they? <laughs> Everything they did. Hey, man, is food ready? I don't know. Send some spies over there. We'll check it out. <laughs> hey, man, so-and-so got a new horse. I know. My spy just told me. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of AI, east of Bethel, near something. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack AI. Since there are so few of them, don't make all of our people struggle and go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, and they got their tails whooped. It doesn't say that. I, that. That's my wording. It says that they were soundly defeated. But I think us, in our culture, we can understand they was whooped. Not just a little bit. They was whooped bad. What, what went wrong? What went wrong? Well, we'll get to what technically went wrong, but the Israelites themselves, Joshua and, and, and the fighting people and everything, they made three key mistakes in this. And the first thing, and mainly it comes down to doing things their own way. After only one victory east of the Jordan, okay, they conquered the land, the promised land east of the Jordan. God said cross it, and then they went to Jericho. They've only had one victory in, in the, where the big boys live, and now... They don't even need God anymore, do they? Did you hear anything in those verses about asking God for his protection, asking God what they were supposed to do, blah, blah, blah? No, they just took it upon themselves. They're like, hey, man, since we're so good now, we're going to do this our way. After only one victory east of the Jordan, now the Israelites are self-confident. They said, oh, it won't take more than two or 3,000 of us to do this. This is going to be a cinch. They were lazy. At the very end, they said, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. Now, now here's the deal. Uh, AI was, was north of Jerusalem, north of Bethlehem and everything. And, and, I mean, it was up in the mountains. So it was a, it was a, it was a pretty steep climb. I mean, not, not like, you know, climbing a mountain straight up or anything. But, I mean, this is a hike. And, and it's like 12 miles, you know, at a pretty good, pretty good slope. So they were like, hey, man, ain't no need for everybody. You only need two or 3,000. Ain't no need for all Two million of us to go traipsing all the way up there. They were self-confident. They were lazy. And you know what? Not one time did it say that they bowed their heads in prayer. After everything that had happened in Jericho, after everything that had happened when they crossed the Jordan and the water stood up, kind of like uh, in the Red Sea, kind of a mini version of the Red Sea, after everything that they had witnessed, they're like, hey, we can do this now. We got the hang of this. Let's go our own way. And they got their tails kicked. They were prayerless. They were self-confident. They were lazy. How do we use God's promises to become everything He wants us to be? Can we do that? See, we must put our confidence not in ourselves, but in our God. Don't put your confidence in what you are able to accomplish. How about let's try this for a change. Let's put our confidence in what God is able to accomplish. One time Jesus was sitting there and He was talking about some stuff and they said, this is too hard. We can't do this. And he said, with man it's impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. We've got to put our confidence not in ourselves, but in God. And the second thing is we must not be lazy in what God tells us to do. Because so often in Christianity, and I wish that my, my goal is that every one of you would become ministers of God. Because see, that's what I'm up here to do is my job, biblically speaking, is the edification of the saints, is to prepare y'all for works of service for the kingdom of God. And I want y'all to experience this, but, 
But soon enough, you're going to hear somebody that says, oh yeah, I want to follow God, and I want to, well, I want to ride for Him, but I want to do it my way, and they're going to look for shortcuts. Well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in all that other stuff. Man, we have, humans have a particularly fine attribute of trying to find a shortcut to do anything. We can't be lazy and try to take shortcuts and, and uh, looking for the easy way out all the time. We just need to stop. And the third thing is, we should pray about everything before we do anything. We don't need to be self-confident. We don't need to be lazy in, in, our, in, our, uh, in our walk with God. And, and, and I know a, a few of you is like, huh, why is he talking to me so much? I hate that dude. I'm never coming back to this place. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to me. <laughs> How do I know all this stuff? Because I am this stuff. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm like, man, I'm going to wake up every single morning an hour early and I'm going to read 42 chapters of the Bible. And the only thing that I get done is waking up late and going, dear God, I'm late. That's about the extent of my morning devotion. We need to just quit being so lazy and just get up there and do what we're supposed to do. So anyway, Joshua and, and, and uh, the Israelites, they go up to Ai, two or three thousand men, they get their tails whooped. They come back with their tails between their legs. And Joshua and the elders of all the tribes, they do something that, that is just, I don't think that we understand this culture, this cultural deal that they did, but, but they, they tore their clothes and they throw dirt on their head and then they cry out to God. That kind of seems a little bit strange to us, but I guess it was a custom back then. They tore their clothes, they threw dirt on their heads, and they cried out to God. And what does God have to say about all of this crying? And you can see Joshua's like, well, you said you'd be with us, and, and we would have been better. I mean, Joshua, this is Joshua said, we should have just stayed on the other side of the Jordan. They must have been right. Why did you even bring us out of Egypt to just let us die? You ever had a, just a great big old pity party? Just ever fell in a 55-gallon barrel of feel sorry for yourself? I mean, it's like you, you, just, you baptize yourself in it, just, ugh, and you just stay there. Well, that's what Joshua's doing. He's like, nah, 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 nah. and we've all been there, man. We've all, some of you might have been there this morning. That's what Riley looked like when she came up there this morning. I don't know what was the matter with her right leg. Wouldn't bend or something. But what does God say? What is his response when they tear their clothes and they throw dirt on their heads and they cry out to God? His response is the second but. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you laying on your face like this? Think about that. You know, I, mean, I want you to take a step back. And if you've got all these preconceived notions about who God is, a lot of you think that God is... Like Zeus with a lightning bolt waiting to strike you down for everything you do wrong. And, and, and you know, he's this little gray-haired old man that, eh, can't hear. I want you to forget all that. Hey, God is cool. Now, he's tough. And he's loving. But God is cool because here they are. They've torn their, they, 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 they ripped open their brush popper and they threw dirt on their heads. And they're all bawling and squalling and in their pity party. And God says, get up. How many of you have ever heard your daddy tell you that? Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? My wife used to tell me that before we went to church. Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? What can we learn from that? Are you, lay, are you laying around feeling sorry for your situation? 
Are you, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I'm not trying to be rude because, because I've been through this the last couple of weeks. Are you just like walking around feeling poor, pitiful me? Yeah. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Everything stinks. Why me, God? Why are you doing this to me, God? <laughs> See, God, you're here this morning because my dad, my dad, he's got a message for you. He's like, get up. Come on. Get up. Why are you lying around on your face like this? Get up. Maybe it's time you got up and dealt with the sin in your life. Because see, they had made some mistakes. There was some mistakes that were made. I mean, they didn't get their tails kicked, but but they kind of got, they didn't get their tails kicked because of they were being self-confident and prayerless and uh, lazy. But that was a big contribution to it. Because see, when, when, when there's sin in your life, Man, you, you just kind of naturally kind of start going sideways a little bit. And you don't even realize it. You think you're going forward, but you're, you're just kind of drifting off. I remember I was, I was riding down the, uh, away from a windmill, and I've told you all this before with, with Ralph Hager, uh, one of my I, uh, mentors. I was going to say idol, but I didn't mean that in a covetous way. But we're riding off, and, and we were talking, and he would always throw out these little bits of cowboy wisdom. And he said, how do you know you're going straight? <laughs> What are you talking about, Ralph? And he's like, without turning around, can you tell me where that windmill is? And I said, well, yeah, it's right behind us. He said, turn around and look. And I turned around and looked, and it was over there. It wasn't right behind us. I could have sworn we rode right off from that windmill. But we didn't. I mean, we started off in that direction, but slowly we had drifted. You know, you go kind of go to the left of this bush and go to the left of this tree and go to the left of that rock and... For you know it, you're off course. Well, that's what the Israelites had done. But back to a fellow named Achan in verses 16 through 26. See, see, in Jericho, God said, hey, here's the deal. Y'all go in there, wipe everything out. Anything of value belongs to me. Don't take nothing. There's always one, isn't there? There's always one that just screws stuff up. And see, that's the real reason that they were defeated. And you might be thinking, well, well that ain't fair. Just one person messed up. But you know what? I, I see that happen in, in, in congregations all over the United States and probably all over the world is that one person can cause a whole congregation to split and go, go sideways and, and things start going bad and everybody starts... Rah, 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 rah. And I've seen it. One person's mistake. So don't think that this isn't applicable today. Because this one guy's sin, everybody kind of paid the price for it. As a matter of fact, 36 people lost their lives because of it. Well, Achan was about to lose his also. See, he had taken, whenever he went in there, he's one of the fighting people, and he went into Jericho, and he went in this house. I guess that was his assignment. And inside this house, he found a beautiful robe from Babylon. He found 200 silver coins and a gold bar. And it was all right to, to pick those things up because he should have picked them up and taken them to God. But he didn't. Because what he did is he hid them. And he took them back and he kind of pulled his bottom of his tent. And he dug a hole and buried those things underneath his tent. But you know what? You can't hide your sin from God. No matter how deeply you try to bury it inside and act like it ain't no big deal, you can't hide that from God. How do we use God's promises to become everything He wants us to be? Where are the things that you are hiding? What things do you have hidden in your heart? Because see, that sin, it'll dig down there 
And it may not be causing a problem right now because he had done that a few days earlier and it didn't catch up to him till later. But make no mistake about it, that thing that you keep taking a shortcut and that thing that you keep making excuses for and that thing that you think, oh, well, I ain't hurting nobody else with it. See, it is going to hurt somebody. And it'll probably start with you. But the first place that you'll really see it is in your family. And then if it continues on, you'll see it in your church. And then after that, you may see it in your community. we got to deal with this stuff and not have it hidden. So are we not supposed to have nice things and gold bars? No, I never said that. Not when they, You're not supposed to have those things when you put those things before what God tells you to do. Because I, I, I know from a, for a fact that it's really hard because sometimes God will tell you to do something and you'll be like, well, you know, I don't really want to do that, God. I went through one of those things with coming up here. I had my own ranch. I was raising my kids on the same place my daddy was raised. I was going to raise them. I had taken over the ranch. I lived out there. Everything was good. I was making about 150 grand a year being a pastor and two full-time oil field jobs. Got to do them all from the church. Dudes, dudettes, I'm telling you, life couldn't have been better. And God said, you willing to leave all that behind and come and follow me? <laughs> you want me to give up? I've got a truck that I get to drive to church. I'm making good money. We can go see a movie anytime we want to. We can even eat pizza whenever we want to. And you want me to give all that up and take a chance and move somewhere where I've never been before? And he goes, yeah, and trust me. I tore my clothes and I threw dirt on my head. And I laid down and I cried. And I was like, God, this is what you said you want to give me the desires of my heart. And he goes, I will. Are you willing to make me the desire of your heart? Yeah, I guess. But here's the thing. If only Aiken would have waited. You know, <laughs> I was out there one day moving, moving some cattle from one pasture to another over by Franktown. And Jared and, and Ty were both there. And Sean was there. A few others. And anyway... This one, we had to doctor her, and she wasn't, she was being pretty squirrely and everything, so Ty said, just cut her out and track her up and rope her. All right, so Jared was going to give me the first loop, and so we cut her out, and I mean, boy, she takes off, just whoosh. And here I've got a 60-foot rope and a gray horse that could have got me right up there. I didn't have to try to use 70 feet of that 60-foot rope in the wind, and I mean, I am literally from here to the camera... And I'm like, no! <laughs> Let me see if I can imitate Jared. That's what he looked like. Let me see if I can imitate me. I don't know, it was either Jared or Sean said, get right up there on her. If you have to run her a little ways, that's all right. He said, it's easier to, to go the little extra ways and get right up there and not miss than to keep throwing these wild shots and then we have to keep rebuilding and chasing her longer. And they were right. I mean, I came from Texas. If you had a shot, you took it, like, because they were fixing to hit the brush. So anytime I see me and a cow and nothing in between, I throw. It's a natural reaction. It's crazy. But anyway, we can learn a lesson from that with Aiken. Because, see, here's what happened. When they found out Aiken's sin, they stoned him. That's what God said to do. Not just him, his whole family. And it sounds horrible, and, and, and it is. But that's what sin does. It's bad. But here's the thing, after Achan's sin is dealt with and after Achan's dealt with, they go back up to Ai and they totally annihilate them. And guess what? In Joshua chapter 8 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, 
This is Joshua chapter 8, 1 and 2. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai, for I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. Here's number three. But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourself. Man, Achan was this close. He wanted those things so bad that he did it his way and decided to take things and go against what God said. And he paid the ultimate price for it. And just the next day, they go out and God says, man, you just do what I tell you to And if you find anything, keep it. I don't care. Livestock. Living quartered horse trailers, good horses, cats. I don't know why anybody keep a cat. That just popped in my head. If he would have just waited. I mean, think about that. And, and see, that, that's where a lot of you are. Man, you, you're wanting something real bad and everything, and, and you're, you're tired of waiting on it, so you're going to really, you're kind of going to disobey God so that you can do what you want to do instead of waiting on Him to give it to you. Don't make that mistake. God wants to give you the desires of your heart, but they must be given by Him to those who follow Him and do things the way He says do them. Don't just take off, or don't just take and go after the things you want. Wait for God to give them to you. When you wait on God to give you the shot, you won't miss. Just take that little extra time. God said, man, I'm going to take care of you, cowboy. He said, I'm going to be there. I ain't going to never leave you nor forsake you. And if you'll do things the way I say, I'm going to give you prosperity and success. I'm going to give you influence. I'm going to give you more than you ever dreamed possible. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you more by following me than you'll ever be able to get by yourself. God gives success and influence to those who follow him. And doing things your way never works out. Be confident in the Lord. Don't look for shortcuts. Pray about everything before you do them. This all sound familiar? Wait on God to give you the finer things in life. I know that's a lot of information, but we're learning about how to take God's promises and apply them to our lives so that we can become everything that He wants us to be. And who He wants us to be is with Him for eternity, and He wants us to be successful and prosperous and influential, not for our own glory, but so that others may see you and say, I want what you have. What is that? And then you get to tell them. I pulled up to the Buena Vista Ranch, for a job interview. The guy had said, I'll, you know, I'll be down at the pens. Just when you come in the gate, just kind of go and the road will kind of make a T and, and uh, turn left and come down to the pens. Yes, sir. I'll be there about 4.30. Okay. So I pull up in my truck to the pens and he is, he's got this colt cheeked around and he's stepping up on this colt and he kind of holds him for a second. You can tell, man, this is just either the first ride or you know, maybe second, maybe third. And he's not in a round pen. He's just in a square, just in a square pen. And so I kind of pull up there and, you know, I, I don't want to get him bucked off. That wouldn't go really good for a job interview. So I kind of pull up there and I kind of shut the truck off and then put it in park and pull the keys out. And I'm kind of watching him and I'm like, man, you know, do I sit in the truck or do I go ahead and get out? And, well, maybe I can learn something. So I just kind of walk up there and, you know, try not to get the horse's attention too much, you know. I mean, he's already saw me pull up, but maybe it'll be all right. So I, I, I open the door of the truck, and I get out, and I think, man, the last thing I want to do is just wham, slam that door. And I mean, you know, ranch manager gets bucked off and no job and everything like that. So I take the car, I take the truck door, and I grab a hold of it, and I go and I push it shut with my thumb in the door. Now, when you're like this, you can't turn around. I was stuck, and I was hurting because it was hurting real bad. And I thought, my gosh, what is he going to look at me? And I'll be like, 
Now I was looking horse you got there. My thumb's stuck in the door. <laughs> well, I figured out I couldn't turn around. And I can't see the door handle. So I'm reaching back like this. And I find it. And it's locked. And I'll tell you what happens next week. Come back. God, we thank you for your message today. God, help us just to follow you and, and, and not do things our way, to, to lean upon you and to, to read your word and just look for those promises and how to apply them to our lives. And most importantly, you know, your word says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. God, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. But most importantly, God, we thank you for your son that you sent to die on that cross for all of our sins. God, I know that there's some people here and they've been struggling. They've been lying on their face and feeling sorry for themselves and they, they've, they've had that sin hidden down. They won't get rid of it, but they think that nobody will see it, but you see it. And you're calling on them today to say, you know what, it's all right, but get rid of that so that you can start following me again because as long as that's hidden in your life, you're going to be following it, not me. God, give them the courage to rely on you to battle all the things that these people are going through, but most importantly, give them the courage to step up Tow that stirrup, slide into the saddle, and absolutely ride for you 100%, not just on Sunday mornings or whenever life gets tough. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.